Welcome to the Three Lines of Defence podcast, the show that provides in-depth discussion into the world of audit, compliance and risk. We bring valuable insights, market information and career advice from industry leaders. Here's your host, Mark Enticott. On today's show, we have Zane Pritchard, who is the APAC Head of Compliance and Operational Risk Control at UBS. Zane has worked at UBS for almost 19 years in a variety of different roles, including various roles in legal, Russian Head of Compliance, and then Head of Legal and Compliance, and APAC Head of Business Risk for Wealth Management, before moving into his current role in March 2019. Zane, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mark. I'd like to start off with where you grew up and a little bit more about your early life. Sure. I grew up in New Zealand in a little town called Tiaraha. That means the love. It's a Maori word, Tiaraha. And um, the little town that I grew up in had a population about the same size as the condo that I live in here in Singapore. So it was a fairly small place and uh, from fairly humble beginnings. From there, I um, went to university down the South Island of New Zealand in a place called Canterbury University, before from there working in a law firm in New Zealand for three years before deciding it was time to head off and see the big bad world. And what made you develop your career within banking and financial services and then also within the three lines of defence? Obviously, you've worked across compliance and risk before. What made you develop your career within those areas? Sure. The first thing that led me into banking was sitting there in a law firm one night at about 10 p.m. where I had some work to speak to my boss about who said he needed to go downstairs and have a cigarette before um, talking to me about it. It was about then I decided that it was time that I needed a slight change in direction in my life. I saw an ad in the paper actually for UBS in Australia, a number one investment banking house with a fabulous reputation, and I decided to to go for it and apply for the job. The job was as a transactions lawyer for the legal team at UBS in Australia. And then you developed your career within compliance and risk? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I worked in transactions legal in uh, UBS for three years. And actually, from there, I was I was considering going into the business, into an investment banking role, and was exploring opportunities. When um, I also mentioned that to my boss, who suggested, "Well, why not go to the UK instead?" So um, I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to go over and work in the transactions legal team in London, which came about fairly quickly. And um, from there. One thing led to another. An opportunity came up to um, do a secondment in equity capital markets compliance in London within the compliance team. And um, while I was there, again, another opportunity came up to go and work for a first-line function within the equity capital markets group. And again, I was speaking to my boss about that. And uh, my boss said, well, why don't you go to Russia? And I thought about it and I thought, oh, yep, I'll go home and see what my wife says. She'll never say yes to this. But she'd had a bad day at work in London and one thing led to another and we ended up going to Russia. One thing I would just say about that decision was my boss at the time said, Zane, one of the one of the benefits of uh, compliance is uh, job stability and a job for life. And actually the job I was offered to go into the equity capital markets group 
This was around the time of the crisis, and a year later, that team went from five people to one people. So um, in terms of job stability, uh, it was certainly a good choice going to um, to Russia instead of uh, moving into the, the first line. In Russia, I ended up covering both legal and compliance, and that was really where I started to sink my teeth, if you like, into compliance in a, in a substantive way. And um, while I was in Russia, my wife got pregnant. We had had three years there, and it was time again to um, think about the next step. And that's where an opportunity came up in a pure compliance role here in Singapore for UBS. And uh, that was a wealth management compliance role. And from there, I stepped um, in primarily into uh, just doing compliance. I say primarily because they gave me a little um, gig on the side to go to India and uh, and work on the legal and compliance work for a wealth management business that we were looking to set up at that time. Since then, plans have changed for that business. So, In terms of there, other pieces of jumping between first and second line, as you noted at the start, I had an opportunity that came up to move into the business risk function within the first line of defense. So a first line risk manager at the time, you know, again, I was thinking about what was the next step for me. And um, that was a fantastic opportunity that came up to see an area of the business that is very, very related to what we do here in compliance and the business risk function being our, our closest and one of our key stakeholders for us in the second line of defense. And I always say that, you know, the the difference between the first line and the second line is in the second line, we tell the first line they've got to build the house and we say you've got to have a roof and some windows and a door. The first line, to be frank, is the ones who have to go and build that house, roof, doors, all the rest of it, and generally make a lot more of the um, the decisions about, well, where exactly do we put the windows? Where exactly do we put the door? You know, what type of door are we going to have? Compliance will come along and uh, make sure or advise and guide along the way where, you know, in certain areas where there's uncertainty. But that implementation, a lot of that detailed work is done by that first line risk function now, certainly within UBS for our wealth management business. From there, uh, the opportunity came up to step back into the second line of defense when um, our previous regional head left, and that's where I find myself today. And when you look at your career, has there been a key mentor within your career or mentors that has helped develop your career and also your leadership style? Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, I won't necessarily name names, but uh, there's absolutely been um, senior people who have been very supportive and, um, you know, immediately one person comes to mind and um, has always been a very good mentor and support in terms of suggestions. That individual was the person who suggested that I go to Russia and uh, have a go at the role there. That individual at various times, you know, has also been, you know, a person I've gone to and sounded other um, pieces you know, off when I've been, you know, thinking about uh, different opportunities and uh, always willing to provide a view, guidance and support, you know, in I would almost describe it as a capacity as a friend rather than just a, a manager or a supervisor as well. 
And when you look at your career, did you feel that having a mentor was something important? Was this something that you thought about before actually, or is it something that just developed? Look, it's something that just developed for me. I've never been someone who's gone out and actively sought mentors. I do think, though, that within UBS, you know, senior people along the way have been very forthcoming and supportive generally, which, you know, I've greatly appreciated. But there's always been somebody willing to um, provide a view or or opinion about, um, you know, either myself or other related topics. And, you know, I've always felt very supported with my with my career at UBS. When you look back on your career, has there been a significant turning point that has helped result in where you are today in your role? Oh, that's a that's a tough one. No, look, I think the, the biggest or the most significant point for me probably is the step out of legal into CNORC. That, I don't know if I call it a turning point, but it was certainly a a transformational point for me in terms of my um, career and the development to where I am today. You know, it was something that moved me into a role that actually I enjoy more, closer to the business, more involved with the business, and something that I think, you know, just maintained and developed my passion more for, um, you know, and took me where, um, you know, I feel most happy with my career and um, and what I do day to day. And has there been sort of a key lessons that you've learned throughout your career that you, you would share with us? Yeah, look, uh, the, the one of the things I have to say is over the years, I've had plenty of feedback, you know, on things that I need to work on, I need to develop, I need to enhance. And those things that, you know, uh, in some cases, I guess you call me a a stubborn old mule. They took a a little while to sink in and for me to fully appreciate. But, you know, I have slowly taken them on board and they're essential that that you do. Um, The first one, I think, for me is generally that... um, Always understand the um, the facts of an issue. Always make sure that you understand the perspectives of other stakeholders as well. Um, you know, the, it's very easy to form judgments and opinions um, very quickly um, without going through those processes. And um, I, you know, that can lead you to jumping to conclusions too quickly. And that can be a little bit dangerous. Um, so, you know, over time, I guess I've learned to um, to not be as reactionary, um, to make sure that um, I uh, make decisions and consider things with uh, the full facts or as good as you're going to get on those facts. Having said all that as well, um, you know, I would never, ever want to lose the the key principle that you still have to follow your instincts. So if you think something isn't quite right, you should definitely, for want of a better word, go after it and, um, you know, take a good hard look if your instincts are telling you that you should do so. Um, and that's, uh, that's some, that instinct is something you should never lose or gut feel, as some people might call it. They're definitely... Key points. Also, you know, I've had the benefit of moving around a number of different countries over the years. 
And, um, you know, one of the experiences I've had is having to adapt and change my style to different ways of working. So when I was in Australia, you know, fairly straight talking environment and, um, you know, we call a spade a spade and, uh, and move on. Um, and when I went to London, uh, the British style might be slightly more polite and perhaps not quite as direct. And, you know, there was um, a bit of adjustment there. In fact, my boss in London actually said she was a bit concerned that I might be a bit too direct for the business. Then I went to Russia and I had actually two American bosses there and the CEO and COO. And after the UK, they're like, Zane, just get to the point. And then when I moved to Asia, I perhaps was initially a little bit too direct and to the point with my style here as well. So um, definitely another key learning over the years is to adapt to your environment, your stakeholders, understand the local cultural sensitivities and the local cultural perspectives and approaches to things because you know that it's very, very important to understand the environment you're operating in and to fit into that environment. During your career, you've managed significant-sized teams. What do you think are the key attributes of an effective leader? It's a very tough question, this one on leadership, but at the end of the day, I think that when it comes to leadership, there's there's a few key components. The first one is at the end of the day, someone has to make a final decision sometimes. And a leader is someone that is prepared to step up to the plate, is prepared to make key decisions and set direction for the organization as a result. And, you know, that, that is crucial. I think that one of the um, biggest challenges is if there's leadership where decisions aren't made and you don't move forward. I think that's, that's very, very important. Uh, a second piece the, of the puzzle in terms of leadership is is understanding again as I mentioned before the different perspectives um, understanding where people are coming from and to always um, you know take that into account in terms of where and how you set the direction for the organization um, the the last one that you know for me around leadership is always support your people. So, um, you know, you can certainly within your own function, you know, challenge your people and um, make sure that things are um, fully understood. But when it comes to working with stakeholders outside your um, team um, or your function, uh, the number one thing is to, um, to support your people, make sure they know that you have their back, you're supporting them, and that you stand up for them in all cases. Um, that's absolutely crucial to me. What do you look for when you're hiring for your team? Look, with for myself, when I'm hiring for the team, I'm obviously hiring at more senior levels, and um, you know we've just been doing that recently. The the obviously there is the question of technical competency, but generally um, with the hiring process, I think take that as a given in most cases when you're getting to the the more senior um, pieces of the puzzle in terms of hiring. Uh, then what does it really come down to? I think it comes down to one, organizational fit. 
are they going to be a um, a good fit for the organisation in terms of their um, style and approach? Um, how you think that um, not only you will work with them, but how they will work with all the other key stakeholders in the organisation? Um, demonstrating what we call our principles and behaviours. So demonstrating the ability to challenge um, where they've been in very difficult decisions, had to make um, difficult choices, where they've had to challenge the business. So what we call demonstrating the behavioral um, elements that we require within our senior leaders, you know, which all adds up to the overall um, piece of leadership as a whole, um, because that, that's what, we're, what we have to um, look for in our senior hires. In your current role, you're responsible for the Asia-Pacific region and you briefly sort of touched on this earlier when you were talking about the various countries that you've moved around in. What are some of the key challenges of covering a region like Asia? Yeah, look, sometimes I feel that within UBS and perhaps it's a more general thing as well that um, people think that Asia is just one country down there um, somewhere out east. And, um, you know, when it comes to talking to the Japan compliance person, I, I can just walk down the floor and have a chat with them and, um, you know, sort it all out. But, um, you know, that's not the reality, um, at least for UBS in Asia. We operate out of 13 different locations um, in a number of cases where English is not always the first language that is spoken, where um, you know the regulatory environments uh, can be very diverse and in some cases um, quite complex as well. Um, so it, it it provides a number of challenges, and you know one of the things that is absolutely key to us in terms of providing the right coverage across all those locations are our local people in on the ground in those locations. It's absolutely key to us that we have strong local people who really know and understand the local environment, the local regulatory requirements. They have the relationships with regulators. Um, they understand the rules and they can translate that back into an international organization and the expectations that we have, which, um, you know, obviously in some cases may be slightly different to a, um, a local organization. If you were restarting your career now, what would be one key piece of advice you would give to a younger version of yourself? Data and technology would probably be the key thing that I would um, give to um, a younger version of myself. Um, I'm totally incompetent in that space. Um, obviously, um, people coming through now, they have a core competency that's much higher than what I do. But I am truly a believer that in the future, um, data analytics, understanding of um, systems, processes, and the tools that are used within a bank, which will only become more and more um, significant, it, it, it's going to be a different approach to looking at risk and compliance. And I think it's going to be far more 
driven by using data to assess risk, but also um, needing to know and understand systems and the processes that we utilize within banks um, and understanding how risks may um, evolve from uh, those systems and platforms. Because as things become more and more automated, you know, it may be a movement away from behavior of, for example, front staff from a conduct perspective to more potentially um, issues arising from systems and the tools where, you know, let's take robo-advice. If the, um, the model goes wrong, it's a systemic issue that impacts the entire business. So um, there, there is quite a shift coming there in terms of um, the, the, the skills and expertise that will be required um, as we go forward. And um, I would advise any junior compliance officer to really focus on how they can equip themselves best to, um, to move with that trend. What are some of the key attributes of a successful compliance person in your view? Detail-orientated, an independent thinker, who's willing to engage and challenge the business when necessary. It's as simple as that, I think. Um, you know, I'm taking the technical knowledge on rules, et cetera, as a given, but that the key part that, that really stand, stands out in terms of the people who are the most successful really are those points again, just to reiterate them, detail-orientated, independent thinker, but willing to engage and challenge the first line. And in a big organization like I work in and my teams work in, you know, it can be quite complicated in terms of the stakeholders involved, getting them all engaged and onto the same uh, level of understanding on an issue across various departments, etc., really can require quite uh, a lot of work and effort. So the, um, the tenacity to go with that engagement and challenge is absolutely key. You briefly touched earlier on technology and also data analytics, which is obviously the data analytics side is a very big uh, component uh, from a recruitment point of view at the moment across compliance and FCC, etc. What impact do you see as technology having on compliance going forward? And is there a particular roles in compliance which you feel are going to be more impacted by the evolution of technology? Look, uh, the the technology is already starting to um, to change the landscape. However. I don't think it's happening quite as fast as some people expect it to um, for various different reasons. But uh, at the end of the day, what we're starting to see now is more and more use of data analytics um, within the first line, the second line, and also our third line as well, um, which is starting to be used quite effectively to identify areas where um, there may be an issue. Um, Associated with that and uh, Taking it further is also whether or not um, there will be a lot of automation um, of controls as well. Um, Now, that is something that's at various stages across um, varying parts of the organization, and I think it's a much longer journey. But I do see that um, in certain areas, some manual 
control work may become far more automated. Not necessarily a bad thing because I do believe that it lifts people up the curve in terms of the work that's being done within a compliance function. So perhaps uh, less time dealing with false alerts, more time dealing with um, substantial alerts that um, you know really do require um, time and effort to to assess properly. So um, you know I can see the technology lifting us up the value chain and lifting our staff up the value chain. So I think that uh, that's a very very um, positive thing. Um, another area that I think is becoming absolutely uh, key with uh, technology is also understanding uh, change and making sure that we have the right governance around change. Um, in the good old days, you know, when you changed a form that a client had to be filled in and it got passed around various different departments, it was um, you know a lot easier process to assess um, the impact of a change. Nowadays, and you know, we have seen it. Um, somebody can go and and change a system. Um, without necessarily uh, understanding the implications for what that change can mean, it can impact the department um, downstream. It, you know, it can impact um, what what goes through to financial reporting, through to what goes to regulatory reporting. The um, the implications can be very significant to um, simple changes from an IT perspective. So IT change governance, understanding the interrelationships of um, systems and how data flows through them is going to be a, um, a big, big part of the changing role of compliance, I believe. What role do you see compliance playing in defining a risk culture of a company? Yeah, this is one I feel um, reasonably passionate about. There's obviously a lot of focus around risk culture right now within our organizations. And a lot of good work has been done within banks across the board, I believe, to address risk culture. It's a very difficult one, though, to get your hands around totally. And, um, you know, I've read some good articles about it, and I think the number one point that comes across in most of those articles is that it's 80% tone from the top and it's 20% the framework that sort of supports the right risk culture. So um, it's only natural that you focus on that 80%. And, um, you know, what is that 80%? It's our senior managers, and it's about them setting the right tone, living and breathing that tone themselves and what they do day to day, and also making sure that um, their people do that as well. So it's first and foremost a first-line business topic. And if our first-line senior business leaders walk that tone, you know, we're pretty much there, frankly. So then what is the role of compliance on that? I think it's about the personal engagement that I myself would have with senior leaders in our business about how they are setting that tone about how they're messaging on it and areas where I might see things that I don't think is in line with that tone and challenging them about it. That, to me, is the number one piece and the number one role for us to challenge where we don't see the um, the first line setting the right tone and um, the right culture. I, you know, And obviously, we're there to support and help. So, 
you know, let's just take in the moment. Markets are all red, huge volatility, staff might be under stress, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, just a suggestion to our, our heads of the business, you know, look, perhaps it's a good time to just give a reminder to all our supervisors, look, guys and ladies, now is the time to really make sure you've got your supervision in place. You're really keeping a close eye on everybody's activities, looking for anything unusual and escalate if you see anything wrong. And proactive messaging from our managers around that, engaging their their staff on that, you know, that's the type of area where I think I can help by just prompting them to then go out and set that right tone. You mentioned earlier that you've worked in a range of different countries, including Australia, London, Russia, Singapore, and now you're doing a regional role. What are your thoughts around job mobility and how do you feel that it helps advance an individual's career? Look, I'm I'm a big, big fan of mobility, obviously. It's been fantastic for me and um, I've had such amazing experiences being able to move around within the one organization. It's been fantastic. And, you know, possibly without that mobility, uh, you know, I I would wonder whether I'd probably still be with UBS because, you know, it's each new country you go to, it's adapting obviously to an entirely new business, an entirely new set of stakeholders. And when I talked before about some of those attributes or learnings in terms of, you know, understanding other perspectives, are, you know, of the stakeholders, uh, those type of things. They're, they're things that have been invaluable and things that I have learned via my mobility. Mobility also has provided me the opportunity to see a lot of different parts of the organization. And uh, these banks we all work for, they're big organizations and they are complex beasts. And the more you see of an organization, the more you've experienced of it, the more you're going to add value in terms of a senior role within compliance or any other function because it just means you have those much broader perspectives and understanding. You you know how the puzzle or the pieces all connect together. You can look across and look at risk holistically rather than in a um, in a more siloed manner. So I'm a big, big advocate, and as a member of our senior management committee here, we, on a regular basis, do exchanges with our other peers in other different departments. So, for example, last year I had the experience of spending a couple of weeks in the finance department and getting to know how the finance organization ticks and operates. And, you know, yet again, another experience that um, helped strengthen my overall perspectives for the organization and also only further enhanced the, my uh, relationships with uh, key stakeholders. In the senior leadership positions you've held, how have you gone about managing the level of stress and work pressure that comes with those sort of roles? You know, I'm very lucky that much to my wife's disgust, I might add, that when I go home, I can just come straight out of work, go home, put my head on the pillow and go to sleep. That is uh, something I'm very, very lucky to be able to do. And I think it does it does help. I'd be the first to admit every now and then I might wake up a little bit early thinking about something work-related. 
but nonetheless, it, it's something that generally I'm not too bad at being able to switch off. And also associated with being able to switch off is look, you you don't obsess about things too much if you've got other things in your life that are fulfilling and that you want to get on with either voluntarily or because you have to. So in my case, obviously having two young children keeps me rather busy and um, is something that helps me switch off from work. Also, um, I'm a firm believer that getting out, exercising, taking your mind off work, keeping your body um, fit and healthy also helps immensely. You know, actually a very good example of this was one time recently where I was feeling a bit stressed about something and then afterwards went for a run and I was so much more noticeably slow because of the fact that I think I had, um, you know, a stress going through the body. But after that run, I still felt 100% better from um, having gone out and essentially run it out of my system. You know, look, everyone's got their um, their own things, if you like, but I think the key thing is make sure you do have other activities, other things outside of work. Keep that balance. You know, we're all running a marathon here, not a sprint, and uh, so keeping balance in your life is very, very important. It's interesting. The running one has come up in previous podcasts, and I'm a big believer of it in that uh it's just amazing how running can totally reboot your whole brain after 20 minutes of going for a run and you feel so much happier and a clearer mind. Absolutely. What are your passions outside of work? You've touched on a little bit. What, what other passions are there outside of work? Well, um, you know, talking to an Australian, Mark, and being a Kiwi, you know, I, I have to say um, trying to beat you at rugby is one. Cricket as well, but I shouldn't really mention that because we never really managed to achieve that. But um, nonetheless, we like trying. And, uh, you know, look, otherwise, um, my passions, a lot of time goes to my children and their activities as well. But outside of that, I have to say that um, I'm an avid reader as well. More so in recent years, I've managed to recapture my passion for that, but that's certainly something that I thoroughly enjoy. And literally just the other day, I, I finished a great book called Shoe Dog, which is about the, yes. uh, the founder of Nike. And um, uh, talking of running, it ticks that box. And two, if you ever want to read about someone um, incredibly determined and with an awful lot of passion, um, I strongly recommend that book to you. It's a fantastic book. I've read it before. Is there a particular theme of books that you prefer? Uh, I, I like a good autobiography or biography every now and then, um, um, but otherwise a, a good gory thriller, you know, murder uh, mystery book is um, is right up my alley. There's a very good book out at the moment called American Dirt. Have a read of it. And there's been a lot of controversy around Thank- it in uh, the US. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. But it, it's a fiction that there has been controversy around it. So. Cool. Look forward to it. Zane, thanks so much. I I actually, another um, writer that I thoroughly enjoy, um, some people might think he's a bit controversial, thinks he's a pirate, but Peter Fitzsimons, I read a book of his recently, um, Mutiny on the Bounty. And um, I I must say, uh, I thought it was was very entertaining for the, you know, 800 plus pages that it was. It, it, It kept my intention and it was a great read. Very good. 
Zane, thanks so much for your time today and providing an insight into your career journey, uh, leadership, mentoring, and sharing your thoughts around the impact of technology on compliance and also the role that compliance plays in defining the risk culture of a company. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. We encourage you to subscribe and feel free to share, rate us and leave a review. If there's anything you'd specifically like us to cover, email us at markenticott at bowenpartners.com. Thank you.